0: For half a century, WJPZ Syracuse has been the greatest media classroom on the planet. We've trained students from the 1970s to the 2020s on how to run a professional radio station. But the lessons learned and relationships formed go far beyond studios and transmitters. Taking a look back through the eyes of those who experienced it. This is WJPZ at 50.
1: Welcome to WJPZ at 50. I am John Jagay. I've been looking forward to this recording for a while now. You probably know him as the MC of the annual birthday banquet every year. I know him as the only alum that shares a home zip code. With me. We both grew up in Malden, Massachusetts. And that'll be Mr. Stephen Donovan. Welcome to the podcast. Jonathan Alexander
2: Gay, thank you for letting me aboard the mothership. I want (laughs) to say that as a celebration to the 02148, with each transition during the conversation, I would like you to just say some Malden reference. (laughs) Only you and I will get it. But you know what I mean? Throw a Trafton Park, throw a
1: Route 60, something,
2: you know what I mean? (laughs) This
0: This is is
1: why I was looking forward to having you on. I knew we were going to have some fun today. The people
2: in uh, Michigan with WDFW or whatever, that Scott Meechner and Matt Friedel, they they can't be the only municipality that's been a pipeline of talent. You know what I mean? No, Walden has definitely got its roots, and we have some wonderful Boston alumni. John Gay, let me tell you something. With this endeavor, this is what, the 50th one you've done? You have created for yourself immortality. You are the historian of WJPZ with this podcast. I would creation. not
1: go that far, but but it has been a lot of fun. Of course fun. you
2: wouldn't because you're a modest fella. You're, uh, <laughs> you're kind-hearted. I'll say it. John Gay, you are the historian.
1: Each one of these has been tremendous. I love it. Well, let's get into yours. Tell me about your path from Malden to Syracuse, Mr. Donovan. My mom's a twin.
2: And my mom had three boys and her twin sister had three girls. And in fourth grade, I was taken out of public school. I was taken home to Forestdale and put into Chevros. Really? That's Malden reference number two. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I also went to Forestdale. We went to the same elementary school. Look at that.
2: Oh my God. I didn't know that. Yeah. Now I love my cousin, Andrea. I love her, but she is a goody goody. She was an angel so much so. And, uh, I'm, you know, I'm smart. I get my work done and I just goof around because that's how the rules were at home. You could go up and play if you got your schoolwork done. So I sure. thought the school was the same way. So I'll get my schoolwork done quick. And this will relate to Syracuse. And then I'll just goof around. So the nuns hated me. The nuns absolutely (laughs) hated me to the point where in eighth grade, Sister Michaela said, because Andrea and I are in the same class, she said, uh, there's no way. Were you adopted? There's no way you're blood related to that angel. (laughs) And so I blamed Andrea a little bit for those nuns and their terribleness. So when I heard senior year of high school, my cousin Andrea is going to go to Burlington to see this uh, informational meeting about Syracuse. I was like, I'm going to go check out Syracuse. I put in zero effort into the schools I might attend. They all had to be uh, good basketball schools. Mm-hmm. That was it. And someone who wore a tie professionally had to have said to me, that's a good school. Could have been a tie-wearing janitor. It could have been a homeless fellow. So I applied to Syracuse out of spite to my cousin Andrea. Who... I don't even think applied. She just went to the information session, and then, uh, yeah, that was it. Wow. The first time I was on campus was moving into Lawrence and Hall. You had never even saw the campus. You just said, F it, I'll go. Never saw the campus. Wow. I could have been going to Greece for all I knew. I had no idea. <laughs> no, Syracuse is in Italy, isn't it? I don't know. So, yeah, I put in almost zero... Like there is whole cottage industries now of people who hold your uh, high school child by the hand for four years to shape and craft their approach to get to. A oh, co- yeah. I'm like, yeah. Do I like the color orange? Yes, I do. I'm in. I love it. Done. I mean, it's ridiculous.
1: So you get to Syracuse. Right. And how do you find the radio station? I'm at Jen Neese day one. OK.
2: If Jen Niece isn't a Hall of Famer, she should. Agreed. So Jen Niece and I are just walking around. It's such a weird time to gr- have grown up before social media and before like my my brother and his wife have apps that track the location of each of their children wherever they are forever. I'm like thank God we didn't have that. Oh my god in heaven. So we're just it's the first day and I'm just walking around looking at stuff that again I'm seeing for the first time because yeah. I put in no effort. So I uh I see Jen and her friends and I went to an all-guys school ball Catholic. So I'm like Estrogen, I'm in. You know, I'm just women. Woohoo! So we end up walking. She's like, "Uh, "We were going to go to the radio station. Do you want to go to the radio station?" I was like, "Of course, I want to go to the radio station." And so we walk in, and BB Good, who is definitely a Hall of Famer. Mm -hmm. If you don't know Sharon BB Good Goodman, she was a national radio talent on Radio Disney. She had her own cartoon. Come on, BB Good. We walk in. She's the only person in the station because everybody's down at the State Fair. I was like, "This is tremendous." First day at the college. And then for reasons that I don't remember, I didn't do anything with the station until sophomore year. Huh. I have no idea. I have no idea why I thought I would go Greek. And so it wasn't until I believe... I have this right. It it
1: wasn't until sophomore year that I got in. So that makes sense. Actually, If I I remember right, you couldn't pledge until spring semester, freshman year. So you probably would have looked into that. And then that would have put you at first semester, sophomore year to join the radio station. You are not the first person on this podcast to say that you joined the station too late and wish you had joined it earlier.
2: Well, I don't necessarily know that I wish I could have uh, gone there earlier because class of 91 are all vicious, vile people. They're terrible people. And I wouldn't want to have anything to do with them. Understood.
1: <laughs> That's Rood and all those guys. Oh, yeah. Hollywood
2: Hal Rude is a stone cold killer. He has left a trail <laughs> of broken dreams worldwide. Hal Rude. Oh, just a heartless, ISIS subscribing, villainous man of, of hate. His heart is shrouded in hate and bile. I feel like I'm at your monologue at the banquet. This is great. I love Hollywood Hal. So then I did not like Syracuse. Uh, freshman year, mm-hmm. I was unhappy. I didn't fit in. I wasn't rich enough. I wasn't cool enough. I, I didn't drink freshman year, so I uh, tried to rush ATO. That went horribly. Oof! And all my friends that I had made in Lawrence were all Greek. And so, if I had not found Z89, I would have probably have left
1: Syracuse. That was the same for me, actually. I would agree with that statement. Yeah,
2: it's uh, it's it's a rough transition. I don't know if you were like me, but. I have 50 aunts and uncles and cousins within a 10-minute drive of my house back home. Mm -hmm. And so I went far away relative to all my cousins and my brothers. Yep. So I didn't know who I was. Yeah. I knew I was Kevin's brother. I knew what Sheila's boy was. I knew who Joe's son was. But Steve Dunn, I had no idea who that was. And realizing that with no support structure around was absolutely terrifying. And so- Finding Z89, that was creating my my new,
1: for the first time, self-generated identity. So what happened at the station that made you feel like you fit in there and found your home in Syracuse?
2: I was made to feel like I belonged. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was made to feel like there was people that had, uh, like Mike Rock and I, I think we're born in the same hospital, <laughs> on the same floor. We're at Malden Hospital at the same time when we were born. And that's the other thing. I'm listening to this podcast, Jag, and there's litany after litany of people that moved mountains and created electricity and built transmitters <laughs> and Legos and when they were four. <laughs> like, I did nothing to further the thing of the building. I, I did the morning show. I did uh, a shift. And that was it. I think I was Jen Neese's assistant to the service thing, I think, for one semester, I think. Public service? Yeah, I think. So it's intimidating to claim a place among, like, Scott Meach, who, you know, killed a bear and (laughs) donated four kidneys to orphans. It's like, all right, (laughs) Scott, we get it. You discovered the cure to COVID. Fine, we get it. He's right there by the CDC. It only makes sense. Of course he is in Atlanta. So what was it about Z89? It was that my whole life, the day before... The first day of anything, first day of school, first day of a new job. Every single time my mother would reach out to me and she's coming down for lunch. It's going to be wonderful. She said, "Uh, Stephen, keep a low profile. Can you keep a low profile? Just, you know, he's into it. And so at Z89, that was the exact opposite. Yeah. I mean, I could goof around like, okay, you're going to do the morning show. Okay, so four times an hour. You're just going to act stupidly and just create nonsense. And that's the point. We
1: need someone to do that. Do you remember some of the nonsense you created on the morning show, Steve?
2: Oh, sure. Oh, yeah. And uh, I'm not necessarily proud of it. It's not good broadcasting. I wouldn't teach it to anybody. (laughs) And again, we're talking about like people that have done big things. Here was a thing that we had as a running thing. And this is ridiculous. I don't know how many people will know this. People of my year will know this. The bathroom... At the end of the hallway in Watson, I mean, this is a terrible story. The bathroom at the end of the hallway in Watson, it wasn't right next door to the station, the the old Mm -hmm. configuration. So you had to run all the way down the hallway and then run back. And so Mike Murphy and I are doing the morning show on senior year, and someone had drawn a scrotum on one of the stalls of the bathroom. (laughs) Okay. And I'm not an anatomy major, but I was was like, hey, Mike, is is that a scrotum? (laughs) He's like, yeah. And so then scrotum, someone drew a face on it. Like it was a slow building project. <laughs> Evolution. And so scrotum face was, I don't know if he was ever a character on the show, but it was always like, how can we get scrotum face on it? Like we're not <laughs> reinventing the wheel. We're not adding anything to the public discourse. You know what I mean? We're 19 year old absolute knuckleheads. We had a woman from London, a student on the show, Rena Advani, who is a, a woman with an, a London accent. And so we would demand, and this is in no way uh, salacious, but we would demand, because we loved her accent, for her, during her news, like she was giving the news of the day and say, please, Rita, can you just please, it would say this out there. And she would find, she would say, Michael Murphy, I love your pants. Like, f- for no no other reason than that sounds funny. There wasn't anything about his pants or what might be in them. It was just her saying that was funny to us. That's not good radio. That's not mature. There's nothing good about that. But we thought that was hysterical. Because, again, you're a moron at 20 with no sleep. <laughs> you know what I mean? I went to Spain my second semester junior year. Mm-hmm. So first semester junior year, I'm doing the morning show with Kid Michael Rock, who again sits on a mountain of talent. And my brother, Patrick, is coming up to drive me home and take my stuff back with me because I'm I'm not going to be coming back until the following fall. Right. So he's like, uh, at this point, an adult. So I don't know. He must have taken a day off of work or something. And so he comes in. He's like, well, what are you doing? I said, well, I, I got to go do the morning show. He's like, oh, can I come in and watch? I was like, yeah, you can be on the show. He's like, you want me to be on the show? And so again, I apologize because this is a no way PC or whatever. So we had him pretend we had to had him come on the show and pretend to be Spunky, the midget wrestler. (laughs) (laughs) Because again, we love we when we were kids, we loved the WWF. Yeah, we had no idea that midget wasn't a good term to call people who were, you know, uh, little people. And so he didn't change his voice at all. And he said, and, and we took calls all morning. Uh, yes, this is uh, Michael Rock, Stephen Um I was Abe Froman uh, on the air. Great reference, by the way. If you have uh, midget questions, wrestling questions, or midget wrestling questions, Spunky is here. The light lines are open. And <laughs> like everybody bought it. I mean, why wouldn't they?
1: Theater of the mind.
2: Everybody at the station later, because we came back to pick up something. And everybody's like, where did you meet a midget? And I was like, I can't, I can't tell you. You know, this is show business secrets." <laughs> and again, is it something to be proud of? Probably not. But I just wanted to have fun. You know what I mean? It was always, how, what can we do to have fun? So quick follow-up
1: question for you. You went by Abe Froben the whole time at, at Z89? Give me a, a Malden reference, please. We're I'm changing trying. subjects. Yeah. Okay. Uh... Piano dosi bread? Oh, Dosey bread. All right. So in the in uh, in the <laughs> in the realm of dosi bread, as you were loafing around the morning show, <laughs> did you actually go by Abe Froman the whole time there? I had no affiliation
2: to the city of Chicago. At that point, I had never visited the city of Chicago, but I loved the 1987.
1: One of my all-time favorite movies, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Classic. John Hughes uh, uh, with
2: Matthew Broderick, who was, uh, for a short time, for a meal, Abe Froman, The Sausage King of Chicago. And I thought that was a funny name, so for four or three years, I was Abe Froman. And there's people now that will only call me Abe. And the people that don't know that part of my life or whatever are thoroughly confused.
1: My wife deals with that a little bit because anybody that I worked with in radio calls me Jag. Anybody from Syracuse calls me Jag. Right. But her family and anybody that I've met in my podcasting business calls me John. So my wife claims that she's bilingual because depending on which group of people we're with, she'll either refer to me as John or Jag. So I understand what you mean. Oh, so she can go back and forth. Probably like you and I slipping in and out of a Malden accent. Oh. Because I don't have a, uh, typically don't have the accent on the air, but my mother, my father, my brother, my best friend calls me. It comes right out. Right. Trafton Park, Forestdale Park. I got a buddy, Max Capaci. I went to high school with a Max Skipper. Of course you did. So after Abe Frohman finishes at Syracuse, right? what does Steve Donovan do as a graduate? I love making people laugh. So I'm going to go to
2: LA. I got a buddy who knows in the marrow of his bones that he wants to be an agent, William Morris. And so I'm going to take a bus to Pittsburgh, get in his Acura Integra, drive uh, I-90, take a left get to la and start a uh, stand-up comedy career we are leaving yosemite national park he's sleeping i'm driving and driving in he was driving and so it was a gorgeous it was like a car ad it was a gorgeous windy mountain road just and a brand new acura integra Mm -hmm. and so now i'm like oh here we go and Whatever retiree is in front of us is going 18 miles an hour. And I'm like, I want to, I want to burn this person. I'm going to follow this person home and burn their house down because I'm so annoyed. <laughs> and then they pull over right when the road gets windy and I gun it and I hit a family of four from Seattle. No, I just wham. And I'm not endorsing that at all. It's, it's shame filled. But again, I was 21 years old, knucklehead. So no one was injured. The cars are drivable. My buddy, bullshit. And, not a fan of what they call forgiveness. And so that pretty much ended the hopes and dreams of some kind of a California life. And so three weeks after my whole family had had a, uh, you know, good luck with the rest of your life, bon voyage, I come slinking back into town to stay at my mom and dad's house with zero prospects or plan or anything. And so I start uh, right away waitering with Andrea at the uh, pizzeria, and then my uncle, true story, gets me a job as a Saugus, Massachusetts, junior high school Spanish teacher.
1: Really? I did not know that about you.
2: Oh, yeah. I was senior at Donovan. I had minored <laughs> in Spanish. I had gone to Madrid for a uh, second semester, junior year.
1: Would you say you were fluent in Spanish at that point?
2: When I was in Madrid, by the end, I was thinking in Spanish by the end. Wow. But okay. like any muscle, you don't know, uh, exercise... Yeah, So I'm a chapter ahead of the kids and with no training on how to put a lesson plan together. And uh, this would have been fall of 95 into uh, winter 96. Fast forward. My dad passes away in 2016. My mom mm-hmm. is cleaning out the house because that's uh, how you grieve. So she says, Stephen, I found your briefcase that you used when you taught. I'm throwing everything away. Would you like to have it? I said, of course. And so I go to the house and open it to find unreturned and uncorrected quizzes and reports from my 7th and 8th grade teaching career of uh, 20 years prior. So then the question was, do I, with the help of social media, track down these now 30-something-year-old people and tell them how they did on Unit 3? You know, because (laughs) my teaching career... One, one year not even one year I left after April vacation not proud not the proudest <laughs> thing so I go to New York City because when I I visited buddies of mine that moved to Brooklyn on Christmas time and saw a summer program for film and television acting at NYU so I went down for that and the program started in May which is why I left teaching early so from May to August I was in NYU housing I was living uh, East 20s and there I met a woman who had been an NBC page. So I, through that connection, became an NBC page. And then from that met a dude that had done stand up that was doing standup. So then that's what prompted me to start stand up back in ninety eight. And how long were you doing that? Or you guys you're still doing it, right? On some level? I'm still doing stand up, yeah. But I was uh, romantically linked to a woman who was a stand up who was further
1: along than me. I love how you're not afraid to use the word midget, but you dance around romantically linked to a woman.
2: Well, I feel like I have to redeem myself because that's, that's not proud uh, <laughs> language. You know what I mean? Okay. She had done uh, the Tonight Show with Leno. She was doing college gigs all around the country, basically further along in stand-up than I was right now because I was just doing the clubs in the city. Mm-hmm. So she would call from the road and everything was terrible. Being alone was terrible. Not knowing where she was was terrible. Uh, the food was terrible. Uh, feeling unsafe at times, terrible. You know. Everything's terrible, and this is what I'm supposed to be working towards. Oh, so at the same time, I'm like, wait a minute. You know what? Let's try to get this radio thing back uh, happening again. And so God bless Dave Peterman and Emily Zizza, because they were in Worcester, Massachusetts, working at uh, WXLO. Mm-hmm. That morning guy had gotten uh, shit-canned because of... Because uh, we can say that, right? We're, it's a podcast. Yeah. It's a podcast. It's not radio. Totally shit-canned. And so uh, they said, you're funny. And so now I'm thinking... I can be paid to make people laugh and stay in my own bed every night and not have to do all this traveling that uh, my girlfriend at the time was doing. So that was June of '03. I moved from a rent-controlled apartment on 35th and 3rd to Worcester, which is the classic path you take in show business. <laughs> right. I was on the air there from '03 uh, to '07. took a year off, moved to Boston, went back there in '08 till 13, and then was in... Providence from 13 to 21 on the air. And I'm living uh, there still, yeah.
0: It's WJPZ at 50.
1: Hey, it's Jag. You're probably listening to this episode of the podcast because you know the person I'm interviewing. But one of the true joys of this project has been learning the stories of everyone in the WJPZ family. When you're done with this podcast, I'd encourage you to check out an episode with someone you don't know. You never know what you might have in common with your other WJPZ relatives
0: looking back at half a century of broadcast excellence this is wjpz at 50
1: i asked for a funny story but i feel like we've kind of covered that at this point let me ask you this all right what friends and relationships have you built through wjpz both your contemporary students alums older than you alums younger than you what folks have you built relationships with because of z89 yeah
2: we don't have enough time to go into all of them Jag, I have a question for you. Do you have siblings? I have a younger brother. He's four years younger. All right. So you're hardwired to be an older brother. That's your comfort zone. That's what you know yourself to be.
1: It's funny because we actually have kind of a role reversal. I have a younger brother personality. He has the older brother personality, even though I'm four years older, technically. Hmm.
2: Because I'm the uh, baby of the family. So that's my default. Okay. In terms of Mm self-identity. And so I found it much easier to act that way or play that role and connect to those above me, uh, older than me, than I would those younger than me. Okay. I feel like the people that you've had on your show, I would consider friends. It's funny, I got fired in June of 21, which I was terrified of my whole career because everybody thought... The running joke was you're not on the radio until you get fired. Sure. And so I was like, oh, shit, I'm going to get fired. And then it didn't happen until 17 years into my career, which pretty good, I guess. Yeah, it's a
1: great run. I think I was fired three times in 15 years. You got me beat. Oh, wow. All right.
2: Yeah, but again, you're the historian of WJPZ, a title that will live with you forever. In infamy, probably. Stop it. So in terms of the friendship, so, so that happens, and i have been shocked at the willingness to help even if it's just a sympathetic ear mm-hmm. in this specific uh aspect of my life so who's helped me i'm probably not gonna get to everybody uh matt friedman jen niece uh betty keston sweet lippy love uh chris Godsick, alex silverman scott mcfarlane Dion summers michael rock jeff dollar I don't know how your experience was because we uh, we didn't talk uh, the night that uh, the three times you got fired. But <laughs> <laughs> you go to Syracuse, and part of why it was so uncomfortable for me to go to Syracuse and discover my insecurities or discover my uh, sensitivities. So growing up, my dad was a cop in Boston, and the skills in being a good uh, policeman on the streets of Boston in the seventies and eighties don't necessarily translate parenting
1: that's understandable
2: yeah so any affirmation i would get from him and it was not a, a recurring event was a good report card got it and so i needed that external proof that i was worthy of affirmation and as i grew from a student to a an alum that good report card became a good job so i'm a good guy because i have this good job Okay. And I have worth because I have this job. I have identity because I have this job. And then when that's taken away and I've one less justification for being a good guy or for worthy of something, it was a completely mentally upending for me. I don't know if that was your experience.
1: It was. I think for um, I'll I'll get personal here for a second, too. I I mentioned the dichotomy of John and Jag. John had no self-confidence when he got to Syracuse. But I found this comfort level in Jag and being the guy on the radio and having a passionate career and being in my career for so long that whenever I would get laid off, or when I ended up exiting radio finally in 2017, I had an identity crisis. I didn't know who where JAG ended and John began and vice versa, and I didn't know what I was going to do, what I was worthy of doing, and I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with radio and TV people who have gotten out of the business, their choice or not. Well, what do I do? This is all I know. This is my identity. This is who I am. Mm. What you're saying rings true for me, and I'm sure many people listening to this podcast, Steve. It's tough because... There's a hit
2: when you make somebody laugh. Yes. There is a boost. There's an affirmation. There is a, uh it's almost like you're playing catch. Okay. There's a beauty to playing catch. You throw the ball and then the other person's like, yeah, I'll catch it. And I'm here. And then they throw you the ball and they're like, yeah, I'm here. I catch it. Right. It's a give and take. It's a back and forth. Right. So when you are on stage or you're behind a microphone, since 98... I've paid my bills. I've eaten. I've put in a roof over my head with the approval of strangers. Okay, that makes sense. With, hey, stranger, do you like me? Am I okay? And then they clap or they listen. And then the ratings come in or whatever. And you're like, oh, okay, I, I'm good. And so when you lose your job, you have a uh, period, I'm sure you can agree, of self-reflection. Yes. How did I get to this place? Who am I? What and so- almost 25 years of, hey, stranger, am I okay? I think, I don't know, I think caused my ability to say I'm okay. Those muscles kind of atrophied because I delegated that kind of a thing to other people. And so now they're not there to the degree they were. And so how do you uh, maintain, you know, self-care or what, whatever, So that regardless of what happens in the exterior, your interior is okay. Yes. Because there was a part of me that is like, well, shit, if I go back to that path, if I go back to that ratings, I have to get a better job. I have to be in a better market. I have to be a bigger market share. Is that going to calcify that inability to do it on my own, take care of my mental stuff on my own, and permanently give it so that I'm always desperately going to be seeking that bigger thing, that bigger hit of... Does that
1: make sense? Uh, I, I'm, I'm speechless right now because what you just went really deep and everything you're saying makes complete and total sense. I, I'm right there with you. I get what you're saying.
2: So right now, 18 months after I got let go, I don't know what to do. I'm not on a path. I don't have a to-do list with an end goal and the steps needed to hit that goal and let me do the alpha ultra uh, hardworking organized like go-getter type a syracuse new house person and attacked that i'm just a dude who is adrift thinking what did i just fuck up my whole life like have i been living wrong what do i do and the lifelong friends to bring it back to the question you asked it's been amazing like sometimes you go to the banquet and it's intimidating because everybody's in a good suit and Matt Friedman is holding $100 bills around like he's Johnny fucking uh, sweepstakes winner. <laughs> and, you know, you're dragging your bag of regrets or fears or anxieties, hoping no one sees it, thinking because you can't see anybody else's that you're the only shit bag walking around, you know. And then when you have that fear, but then you reach out to somebody and you talk to them. And they're like, yeah, dude, that's ever, that's life. That's what everybody's going through. It's I, like, holy
1: shit. I mean, when I was let go from radio gigs, it, you, as you know, it usually happens around Christmas time when the budget cuts happen, which is also- Happy f- birthday, Jesus. Yeah. It, yeah. Or happy birthday to me. My birthday is December 18th. And it's not that I'm comparing myself to Jesus. But anyway, there's, I, I'm talking to a Malden Catholic guy, so I gotta be careful there. Thank you. So banquet is three months after end of year budget cuts. Right. I've been to banquet two or three times unemployed. Yeah. So I get it. The first time when I was younger, I just drank myself into oblivion at the banquet. And then there was another year Fair. where it's like I'm going and I'm desperate because this is the weekend I'm gonna find my next job and I'm gonna to talk to somebody and they're gonna and, and they're gonna help me and, and you know, all these people have all these great jobs or all these Hall of Famers, all those, you know, major market names that you've mentioned and Hall of Famers and I'm like well, I just want to get a job, like my next radio job, my next next job, what is it? So I've been right. there, I know you're there right now, and I know that so many people listening to this podcast have been there when they've been on the beach or between gigs. And by the way,
2: uh, for those of you younger in the game, uh, there's no actual beach. I have not been on the beach. It's 25 <laughs> degrees out. I mean, this whole beach thing is horseshit. It's a complete lie. There's no beach. You know, I was raised by television to a degree, Mm-hmm. And in television, any problem is solved in half an hour or if it's big, an hour. <laughs> right. There's a moment where things click happily ever after fade to black. When you're a kid, things are stressful. You get a class and you're stressed about it. Then you take a final and then done. You're done with that grade. It's done. There's a trickiness to the idea that that's how you think the world works That there'll be some event, there'll be some relationship, there'll be some job, there'll be some raise, and then I'll be okay. Then everything will be fine. Then fade to black, happily ever after. And maybe I'm decades late into the growing up or maturation phase, but the world isn't like that. Yeah. And that's a lesson I'm learning late in the game. And so it's like, oh shit, well then what do you do? And then if you take comfort, as I did as a boy, in the structure of school, in the structure of feedback of a report card, and then as a young adult, in the structure of laughs or ratings, and then you're out of that, where's the structure? Yeah. Where's the support uh, system? I don't know what the hell we're talking about now, but it's amazing to discover things and then to reach out to friends and have them affirm, yeah, that's that's kind of the world. That's kind of how it works. Does that make sense or no?
1: It does, and I'm really glad to hear that you know you've learned the lesson of the WJPZ family and how everybody has really you know come out to reach out to you. I know when I was out of work, not everybody. Was... There's a couple of shitbags. bags. Okay, well, fair enough. Most people, and I'm gonna get them, and uh, they know who they are. Again, same for me. When I when I was out of work, that <laughs> would not again not the shit bags, but most alumni did reach out to me and right. say, "How can I help?" Which is true. So aside from learning the lesson of the power of the JPZ Alumni Association, any other things that you learned as a student at the station that come to mind before we wrap up?
2: Um, I wasn't active as a student to the degree that I am now. And so I'm much more participatory now in terms of the
1: banquet. You talk about being active at the banquet and emceeing the banquet every year. Right. What kind of prep do you do? to host the banquet. You show up in the tux and you've got pictures from social media, you've got clips and you've got stories about, and you this is where I give you a lot of credit because you've got stories about alumni, your contemporaries from the 90s, right. but you've also roped in older alumni and then current and, and more recent grads. Everybody's included. How do you prep your, your routine for the banquet?
2: I will answer that with a bit of a, a story.
1: Okay. If
2: we are going to just be, hey, wasn't Z89 great in the... Early to mid 90s, then soon everyone that wasn't there for after the early to mid 90s would be like, uh, Yeah, you guys can go have your congratulatory party uh, elsewhere. And uh, what the hell? Uh, fine. So I want to have a banquet every year until I drop dead. I want there to be a continuous wave of kids coming in that do shit that's never been done before that take uh this thing to places that it's never been before. If we're just trying to replicate a uh Geo Tracker giveaway every year, <laughs> then who gives a shit? So <laughs> I don't at all want to be a uh my year was the best, everybody else go fuck yourself. Yeah. I seek out kids so that they feel heard or seen or represented so that then they come back. Yeah. So I will most of the time I will spend all day the day of the banquet at the station talking to whoever is the GM or or the people there at the time and get the stories. And in the weeks and months prior to I'll reach out to whether it's Sam or it's Eileen or it's Dina or whoever's in charge of the banquet. I give me who's coming And then I'll scour the social media accounts of these SOBs and remind them of shit they forgot they put out there for the public (laughs) consumption and then put it up for all to see.
1: I will say because of that, there have been many conversations among alum when posting something on social. There is a bit of a small fear factor of, oh, I'm going to post this and forget about this. And Donovan's going to bring it back in March. I know he is. I shouldn't post this. Yeah, but here's the deal. And I'm glad that you're the one that
2: is doing this conversation. I never know how I come across. I assume everybody knows I'm Uncle Steve. I'm your pal. I'm not looking to punch down. I'm not looking to have fun at anybody else's expense. Mm-hmm. So my thinking is if you have it out there, you're comfortable. With, I'm not hiring private detectives to <laughs> go through your shit yeah. and air it you know, as a surprise. So I had a joke at your expense and had no idea... hurt i had caused you i had thought it was fun and god bless you for a valuing our uh, relationship enough to talk to me about it and air it and give me the opportunity to let you know where i was coming from so that you knew there was no malicious intent and that I
1: just want to have fun, you know? Okay, so I wasn't going to go there, but since you did, I'll engage you in in this part of the conversation. There was a joke that you made at my expense one year when I was not there. I was at Mardi Gras in New Orleans. I was the PD, and I had to be at a client event, so I couldn't come to the banquet. It coincided with uh, Mardi Gras that year. And you made a joke at my expense, which I heard about secondhand, and I was in a bad headspace at that point, and it didn't go over well. No, nor should it have. But to your credit... I got a little bit of context from some other folks in the Alumni Association, some mutual friends, I'll leave their names out of this, of where your heart was and where your intent was, and you didn't have bad intentions, and we talked about it, and we hashed it out. It's water under the bridge, which is why I wasn't even going to bring it up, but you did. And I can objectively say, now this is probably almost 10 years later since you've made the joke. Right. The joke, now that I can look at it objectively, was funny. Oh, good. You said, and I quote, if Jag were here, he'd be having the chicken statutory
2: no, 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 don't ruin the joke. And this gets back to the prep. And among the other things that I mentioned that I do, I will go, and you've got to go to the banquet. It's so much fun. It's the same every year. And so Friday, you eat at Varsity, and then you have a couple of pops at Fagan's. And every time the door opens at Varsity, everybody yells and says hello. And then you eat fried cheese, and then you go get some beers. So that particular uh, weekend, I had seen you Chatting up some very attractive woman who was younger than you. <laughs> and maybe, maybe there was some jealousy. On my part, maybe. Who can say? And so the next day at the Dais, because you want to greet everyone who's there, you want to say hello to folks who haven't been there in a while. And so uh the joke was: I'm not gonna say that Jag likes younger women, but his meal tonight is the chicken statutory. Which <laughs> <laughs> It's funny. It is. Chicken catchatory, which is delicious. I just put them together in the hopes that that would be funny, never knowing I was causing hurt to John uh, Gay, the historian of WJPC.
1: Uh, This is the first time in 50 or so episodes of this podcast that a guest has actually made me blush, which is not easy to do. So I can give you a lot of credit there. Um, And again... You know, I came into the interview today knowing that I'd laugh because you're a very funny guy. I was very surprised that we got deep as we did, but I'm, I appreciate you being open and honest and putting everything out there. And I appreciate the fact that, you know, we had a little bit of a dust up a few years ago, but that it's water under the bridge and we continue to be friends to this day.
2: Yes, I couldn't agree more. And again, when you are known for making jokes, people don't know when you're serious or are ready for it. But I'm, I'm serious as I can be. Jake, this thing that you've done is fucking awesome thank you it's just because you can access it i've, I've googled uh, podcasts. podcast you can access them forever they're sticking around and um i'm glad that there have been dozens and dozens of people more important than me uh to come before me
1: you know because uh again my time as a student wasn't stellar well thanks to you uh, the phrase chicken statutory will now live on forever in this podcast. Oh, <laughs> and <laughs> delicious.
0: <laughs>
1: and 10 years ago, I would have had an issue with that. But at this point, I'm going to let it rip. So, Stephen Donovan, if you enjoyed this podcast, come to the banquet and enjoy the jokes and comedic stylings of Mr. Stephen Donovan as our MC. Thank you. This March 4th in Syracuse. Thank you for your time today, sir. God bless you, Jag. I,
2: I apologize uh, for the uh, interruption. The episode was wonderful, Jang. I do feel there's a correction that needs to be made. All right. I had made jokes uh, about you on more than one a banquet. And <laughs> the chicken statutory, that joke was made, I believe, year two. You weren't there. And so to make a joke about somebody not there, that's uh, rude. When you were there the year prior,
1: again, you were... To use market to uh, look, I'll own this. I blew you off at Fagan's because I was talking to a young lady. And for the record, that young lady, only three years younger than me and a friend of a classmate, wasn't like I was robbing the cradle or anything.
2: You were doing a market research and, uh, yes, I in the Syracuse market, having been blown off by you, see you again uh, at the official banquet uh, the next evening and wanted to know what happened. And so, naturally, in radio terms, wondered. Did you hit the post?
0: right now.